Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me. Box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our listener. I want to thank uh, Char- uh, Charlene uh, and... Uh, Marvie, Tom, uh, Thomas, and Karen for their support. Thank you so much. Now it's time for today's adventure of Sherlock Holmes, The Adventure of the Red-Headed League. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The original and immortal stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized anew with Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson and Sir John Gielgud in the role of Sherlock Holmes. I suppose that the affair of the Red-Headed League was always one of my favorites among Sherlock Holmes's triumphs. When I was writing these memoirs of his adventures, which always amused and exasperated him so much, I set it among the earliest. Yet the adventure itself didn't occur until rather late in our relationship. And one day in the autumn, I went back to the dear old haunt in Baker Street for a visit. There he was. And sitting with him was a very stout and florid-faced old gentleman with the fieriest red hair I'd ever seen in all my life. Watson! My dear Watson! Oh, I'm sorry, Holmes. I'm afraid you're engaged. So I am. So I am. It's exactly what I meant. Uh, Mr. Wilson, permit me to introduce my good friend, Dr. Watson. Oh, glad to meet you, Dr. Watson. Delighted, Mr. Wilson. Mr. Jabez Wilson Watson, who has this moment appeared with what promises to be a stranger case as we've ever encountered. I suppose it's another example of your theory that for the strangest things, we must go to ordinary life itself, Holmes. But of course. Ah, but if you'll forgive me, Mr. Wilson here hardly seems the kind of gentleman to whom startling adventures are likely to occur. Yes, you're right, of course, Watson. Apart from his blazing red hair, there might appear to be nothing indeed unusual about Mr. Wilson. Beyond, of course, the obvious facts that he has at some time done manual labor, that he's been to China, and that he's done a considerable amount of writing lately. Upon my soul, Mr. Holmes, how did you know all that? I haven't mentioned a single word. Words, Mr. Wilson, are the least communicative of all things. Yes, but... uh, Your right hand is quite a size larger than your left, for instance, with the muscles more developed. Well, it's as true as gospel. 
I began as a ship's carpenter. But how? <laughs> You'll have to forgive him, Mr. Wilson. It's a habit of his. All, all the same, Holmes, you mentioned writing. Well, what else do you fancy would explain that shiny right cuff of his, Watson? And the left one, with a smooth patch near the elbow where you rested on the desk. <laughs> all right, then, all right. But China, Holmes? It's the simplest of all. The fish there, tattooed on Mr. Wilson's right wrist. Well, <laughs> I've made a small study of tattoo marks. That trick of staining the fish scales of a delicate pink is quite peculiar to China. <laughs> Upon my soul, and, and I thought at first you'd done something clever, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> there was nothing in it after all. Omni ignotum pro magnifico. Holmes... Your reputation will suffer shipwreck if you're always so candid. <laughs> However, the problem, Mr. Wilson, the problem... You were showing me the advertisement. Here it is, Watson. You better look at it for yourself. It's from the Morning Chronicle uh, last April, you see. That was the start of it all. To the Red-Headed League. On account of the bequest of the late Ezekiah Hopkins, there is now another vacancy open. All red-headed men who are sound in body and mind are eligible. Apply in person on Monday at 11 o'clock to Duncan Ross at the offices of the League, 7 Pope's Court, Fleet Street. <laughs> splendid. Quite splendid, isn't it, Watson? <laughs> yes, but uh, what, what, what does it mean in all the world? Uh, pray, do you go on, Mr. Wilson? Well, as I was just going to explain to Mr. Holmes, Doctor... I've got a small pawnbroker's business at Coburg Square. Oh, yes, that, that's near the city, isn't Quite it? Quite a lucrative line of business, I'd fancy. No, no. It doesn't do much more than give me a living. Oh. Uh, I'd hardly have enough to cover the wages, except that my young assistant's willing to come for half pay, so as to learn the business. And what is the name of this obliging youth? Uh, Spaulding. Vincent Spaulding. Oh, he's first rate. Couldn't wish for better. Except... There never was such a fella for photography. Huh? Yes, he's snapping away with his camera every minute he is, and then diving down into the cellar like a rabbit to develop his pictures. Huh. Into the cellar? He's still with you, I take it? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, it was young Spaulding who drew my attention to this advert, Doctor. He came into the office one day with that very paper in his hand. Now, I'll tell you what, Mr. Wilson... I just wish to the Lord that I was a red-headed man, the same way you are. Just look. Famous Red-Headed League. There's another vacancy. Red-Headed League? Yes, you heard of it, of course. Not a word. What is it? Well, as far as I can reckon, the League was founded by one of them American millionaires, sir. Mm -hmm. And Ezekiah Hopkins. Same as it says there. And he was mighty queer in his ways, they say. He was a red-head himself, you see. And when he died, they found he'd left his fortune to providing jobs for men that was carotid like he was. Oh, there'll be millions applying. It's hardly worthwhile me trying. Oh, go on. and have a shot, sir. I would, honest. You might put yourself in the way of something good, Mr. Wilson. You never know till you try. And so, uh, that was the whole way of it, Mr. Holmes. Well... I went along that Monday, and I've never seen such a sight in all my life. There wasn't a man in all London with a red hair in his head that hadn't turned up at Pope's Court. I dare say. The whole entrance from Fleet Street must have looked like a costermonger's orange barrow. <laughs> <laughs> Most entertaining, Mr. Wilson. Uh, pray go on, Mr. Wilson. 
Well, anyway, I, I got in at last to the office where Mr. Duncan Ross was sitting. Very plain it was, with a deal table and a couple of chairs. And this Mr. Ross was a little quick kind of man, and he had a head that was even redder than mine, if you believe it. And the minute he saw me, he was up like a shot. Mr. Wilson, he cries. Mr. Wilson. Heaven bless you, Mr. Wilson. It's marvellous. What a head. What a shade. Well, well I'm delighted, Mr. Ross. One, one moment, though. Uh, you'll excuse me, will you, Mr. Wilson? Uh, ah, thank you. Thank you. I just had to give it that one small tug to, to see that you were genuine. We've been tricked twice by wigs, Mr. Wilson, and once by paint. Uh, I could tell you tales of cobbler's wax that would disgust you with human nature. Uh, you're married, of course? Uh, no, sir. What? Oh, a pity, a pity. The fund was for the propagation of redheads, too, of course, besides their maintenance. Eh? Still, I think we could stretch a point for such a remarkable crop as yours. Uh, uh, when could you take up your duties? Uh, well, uh, the, the job's yours, of course, with such a shade. Well, almost any time, I suppose. Uh, my assistant's very reliable in my shop business. Uh, ten to two every day, Mr. Wilson, in this office. Uh, the pay, four pounds a week. Uh, and the work, Mr. Ross? Oh, purely nominal. The only condition is that you've to be in the office the whole time. Uh, if you leave it for even a minute... You forfeit your whole position forever. Uh, the will's very clear on that point. Oh, I wouldn't dream of it, Mr. Rossi. Oh, it's only four hours a day after all. Uh, what is it that I have to do, though? To copy out the Encyclopedia Britannica. What? Every word of it, from beginning to end, sir. There's the first volume on the table, and you must find your own pens and ink. We provide the table and chair, of course. You'll be ready to start tomorrow, then? Well, if, if it's so very urgent... It is, it is. The work mustn't flag for a moment. I'll be here myself to start you off, but afterwards you'll simply carry on by yourself, except that I'll look in every Friday to pay you. Goodbye, Mr. Wilson. And uh, let me congratulate you from my heart on the important position you've been lucky enough to obtain. And I can tell you that I'll never forget the groan of disappointment that came up from those other copper knobs waiting out in Pope's Court when they heard the job was filled, Mr. Holmes. <laughs> it must have been heartbreaking. Well, well, what next? You turned up, Mr. Wilson. To the dot. And there I sat, Mr. Holmes, day after day. I wrote about abbots and archery and armour and architecture... I thought I might get even to the bees before I expired. <laughs> and you were paid? On the nail, sir. Oh, I will say that for them every Friday. But then suddenly, just suddenly, the, the old thing came to an end. Ah, before the bees. After all, Mr. Wilson. This very morning, Doctor, there was this square of white cardboard nailed to the office door. Look. The red-headed league is hereby dissolved. October 1890. Well, well. Well, well, indeed, my dear Watson. <laughs> you made inquiries, of course, Mr. Wilson. Everywhere. Not a single soul in the old building had ever heard of Mr. Duncan Ross, or even of the League itself. What an extraordinary thing. From what I've heard, I think it's very possible that graver issues hang from the singular episode of the Red-Headed League than appear at first sight. Uh, Watson, the door for Mr. Wilson, then. Yes. Mrs. Hudson will show him the street. Yes, yes. Good day again, Mr. Wilson, and my thanks for bringing me a problem that is quite worthy of me. Uh, thank you, Mr. Holmes. Uh, good, thank you. Good day, Doctor. Good day. Goodbye. Goodbye.
We went out at last to the city as it suggested. We traveled by the new-fashioned underground as far as Aldersgate, and a short walk took us to Coburg Square, which was a pokey, shabby, genteel little place. And halfway along, three gilt balls and a brown board with Jabez Wilson on it announced the place where our red-headed clients had carried on his business. Sherlock Holmes stopped in front of it, and, to my surprise... Splendid, Watson, splendid. Now the door, my dear fellow, if you'd be good enough. Ah, certainly, Holmes, certainly. It does seem a more orthodox manner of attracting attention than knocking on the pavement, as you've just done. <laughs> I must say, I'd like to know why you... Well, what do you want? Ah, thank you, my good man. I only wish to ask you how you'd go to the Strand from here. Fair right, fourth left. Good day. <laughs> Admirable. Uh, come, Watson, let us walk. Ah, uh, smart fellow, that. The good Spalding himself, no less, of course. Well, so I gathered from the white scar on his forehead that you mentioned. For skill, Watson, he's probably the fourth smartest man in London. And for daring, I'm not sure he hasn't even a claim to be the third. Yes, I've known something of him before, you gather. Ah, evidently. Mr. Wilson's assistant seems to count very largely in this business of the redheads. I take it that you only asked him your way for the sake of seeing him. Not him, Watson. The knees of his trousers. Indeed? And what did you see? What I expected to see. Huh? Oh, I dare say, but, but what? And why did you knock on the pavement with your stick so heartily, may I ask? My dear good fellow, this is surely a time for observation, not for talk. We are spies in an enemy country. Now then, let me see. Uh, I'd just like you, Watson, to observe the order of the houses at the corner here. Hmm? Well, uh, there, there, there's Mortimer's, the tobacconist, and the little newspaper shop over there, and there's the Coburg Square branch of the city and suburban bank, and the vegetarian restaurant, McFarlane's, the carriage building depot. Excellent, exactly. Well, we've done our work for this afternoon, Doctor, and now we are free until ten o'clock tonight. Till ten? Ten, precisely. I've some little business myself in the interval, but at ten tonight, Watson, if you love me, meet me there by MacFarlane's depot. I'll come by handsome, and I may have some companions with me. Oh, and Watson. Yeah? Your army revolver. Ten... Watson, I think you'll remember our old colleague here from Scotland Yard, Mr. Athelney Jones. Oh, of course, that old adventure of the sign of four. How do you do, Jones? Happy to see you again, Dr. Watson. Like old times, isn't it? And this, Watson, is Mr. Merriweather, who is to be our other companion in tonight's adventures. How do you do, sir? Watson, will you lead the way? Ah. For you, Mr. Merriweather, I may say, tonight's stake is of some 30,000 pounds at the least. And for you, Jones... The man you've been longing to lay your hands on for many a year. John Clay, murderer and thief, if you're right, Holmes. Paul myself. A remarkable man, John Clay, Dr. Watson. His grandfather was a royal duke, they say, and he's been to Eton and Oxford, and yet there isn't a dirty trick on the calendar he hasn't been up to. He'll crack a crib in Scotland one week and be raising money to build an imaginary orphanage in Cornwall the next. This time it's bullion in Coburg Square, Jones. Yes. 
Mr. Merriweather Watson is a director of the City and Suburban Bank. I made a contact with him and Jones after I left you this afternoon. He is about to lead us by a very private door to the vaults of the bank itself. The vaults? The vaults, Watson. Lead on, my dear Mr. Merriweather. Splendid, splendid. Watson, you brought the gun, as I asked you. Well, of course, Holmes. But it only permit me to inquire... Shh, shh, man, we've something better to do. Sit down, Watson, on that big packing case, and keep your pistol ready. And do you be seated also, Mr. Merriweather? You too, Mr. Jones. We may have some little time to wait still. Mr. Merriweather will no doubt explain to you, Watson, why it is that one of the most daring criminals in London seems to be taking a considerable interest in this cellar in which we are all sitting now. Well, do you see, it's our French gold, Dr. Watson. In heaven's name, man, quiet, quiet. They may be, they may be here at any moment. Our French gold, Dr. Watson. French gold. We'd occasion to borrow some to strengthen our resources. Uh, that crate you're sitting on contains 2,000 Napoleons packed in lead foil. Phew. 2,000 Napoleons. The one Mr. Jones is sitting on contains 4,000. Oh, by the way, Jones, you've got the other entrance covered, I take it. Yes, Vector, two officers. Good. Now, how goes the time? Ah, Watson, pray darken the lantern. And keep your eyes glued to the floor there, about six feet in front of us, I'd guess. And the moment we... Wait, wait. They're earlier than I thought, after all. Quiet now. Holmes! I can see an edge of light. Quiet, Watson. So, got you, Clay. What the big quick, Watson? I warn you, we're hard, Clay. I got him, Holmes. I got him. Hold hard, you scoundrel. I'll shoot Clay. John Clay. Caught in the very act. There's another of them there along the underground tunnel. Run for it, Russ. Run, run. So use Clay. The other entrance is covered too. Your friends had his run. They'll get him at the other end. Fangit. Oh, it's a fair cop, then. So, you've got us after all. Whoever you are. Scotland Yard, Clay. Sherlock Holmes, at your service. What? Oh, it would be. Well, I've never met you, Sherlock Holmes, but... Uh... <laughs> well, well, I guess, I, I guess I've heard about you. And if I had to be taken by anybody at the very point of a fortune... I reckon it's you that I choose. Oh, thank you. May I say in return that your red-headed idea was one of the most effective I've ever encountered. Jones, he's yours. Mr. Merriweather, your French bullion is safe. Thank heaven for it. Hold out your hands, Clay, alias Spalding. I beg you'll know, Mr. Jones. You may not be aware of it, but I have royal blood in my veins. Well, it was a decent fight, and I lost. I'll go quietly. Thank you. Well, will you please march upstairs, Your Highness, where we can get a cab to carry your serene nobility to the police station? <laughs> That's better. Well, your servant, Mr. Holmes. Good night. Good night, Mr. Clay. Mr. Jones. Ah, oh, good night. Good night, Mr. Good night. And so, that's that. You've solved it, Holmes, as you promised. The League of the Red-Headed Men. Yes, Watson. It was perfectly obvious from the start, of course, that the only possible object of the whole thing must be to get rid of that not overbright pawnbroker of ours for a certain period every day. It's a curious way of managing it, surely. Our clay was always an imaginative dog. And really, it would have been difficult to suggest a better. Can you? 
for all your wisdom? I confess I can't. <laughs> it was the colour of the fellow's hair, of course, that suggested it all. Every bit of it. Clay, alias Spalding, took a job at half pay as Wilson's assistant so as to be near those cellars where he knew the bullion was stored. <laughs> that was smart. Well, he had an accomplice, that man who called himself Duncan Ross, who was either red-headed himself or accomplished those miracles with cobbler's wax which were to disgust us all with human nature. <laughs> <laughs> they managed between them to guarantee Wilson's absence from his shop for hours on end, weeks on end. And while he's toiling away, they're burrowing their way like moles from his premises towards the gold. But what set you on the trail, though, Holmes? The photography. Hmm? That business of disappearing to the cellar for so long at a time. Uh, did I surprise you, Watson, by beating on the pavement? You did indeed. <laughs> well, I was checking on the hollowness of the tunnel between Wilson's place and the bank. Ah. I looked at Spalding's knees when we met him in his role of the Cockney shopman... And there they were, worn and stained from that endless digging of his. The thing was as clear as daylight. But how could you tell that they'd make their attempt tonight? They closed the league offices. They no longer needed Mr. Jabez Wilson's absence. And it's a Saturday, Watson, that'll give them two clear whole days for their escape. Ah, you reasoned it beautifully, Holmes. The case of the red-headed league. One more among so many. Well, well. Well, well. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, based on the original stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, have been dramatized anew with original music composed by Sidney Torch. Sir Ralph Richardson played the part of Dr. Watson, and Sir John Gilgood that of Sherlock Holmes. The program was produced by Harry Allen Towers. Welcome back. Um, this is uh, definitely an interesting approach to the um, Red-Headed League. Uh, I'm struck by the degree to which they really try to uh, affirm the chronology they're using for uh, the stories. And I tend to think that's just a, something that's uh, better not to call attention to. Uh, I, I definitely think in this episode you see the um, contrast between um, uh, between this series and the John Stanley series we just completed. 
um, just in terms of the interaction of the character. It's light. It's um, more uh, good-humored and uh, pleasant, even with the crooks. And I guess you could make an argument that they may have gone too far one way or another. But uh, I think it's uh, I think it's definitely refreshing from what we heard in the prior series. All right, that'll do it for today. We will be back tomorrow with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and then join us back here again next Thursday for Sherlock Holmes. In the meanwhile, send your comments to Box Thirteen at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and uh, be sure and. Fill out our listener survey, survey.greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.